In Tayen Park, your intellectual spark. Ergo hawk if words could talk. Ahoy hoy, welcome back to If Words Could Talk. This is episode two. It is just me and Park. Park and I. Me and Park. P and Mark. That's enough of that. So, <laughs> Park, how's it going? It's uh, it's going good. That's so, the question. Yeah, that uh, that could have gone better, but uh, we live with it. So, you and I were just talking about how different forms of media medias are coming to an evolutionary end in some ways, but not in others. Specifically, movies, music, television, video games. Yeah. And how, and I was how... I was mostly just disagreeing with your your claim that that film was getting was was about to expire as a as an entertainment medium because w- you were wrong. <laughs> but that's okay. I was more specific. Uh, that's not exactly my my train of thought. My what I was getting at is that at some point people are going to get sick of the thought of these same tropes being used in a different order. That at some point the zillionth time that a hero in shining armor comes and saves the princess, that they will go, okay, can we please get some originality here? Yeah, yeah. So, um, I, yeah, I completely disagree. <laughs> which, <laughs> sweet. What a great way to start. You and I wouldn't have it any other way. So just, just, just go for yeah, it. Yeah, you being wrong, me being right. <laughs> this is the first time you're experiencing it, so I'm sure the endorphins are extremely high for you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. And it's still yet to be de- determined. Anyway. Yeah. Well, so to ask the question, I guess, of of whether or not people are going to get tired of, of film as a medium. Um, n- no. <laughs> because the, well, let's say not necessarily. Ha, gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> not, uh, not because tropes have been so overexplored and reused and reorganized that people have seen it enough. Um, so, so, I mean, we were talking about this earlier too. Um, generationally culture has a very, very, um, short, uh, memory has a very brief cultural memory. Right. And so there, there are narrative principles like the hero's journey, right? People aren't going to get tired of hearing that because it's, it's, in, there's, there's intrinsic value to it. It's, there's objective truth imbued in that sort of thing. People aren't gonna. People aren't gonna get tired of seeing things that resonate with them at an intrinsic and, and very natural level. All they want is variations on certain mediums and contexts to to deliver that escapism, right? Like some people want Star Wars because they want the hero's journey in space and they want to experience good right. narratives, uh, you know, with with laser guns and lightsabers, right? Um, some people like westerns because they want the escapism of, uh, you know, of that uh, of that fashion right um but people want like there's a limited extent of intrinsic truths that you can imbue into a narrative and people aren't going to get tired of them Um, right on on some level it looks like a new thing and that's all your mind needs right in order to want to watch it like in the 60s it was westerns with rifles right then in the 70s and 80s it was science fiction you know um you know, Labyrinth and Dark Crystal and The Neverending Story, all that weirdness. Uh, 
Star Wars, you know, phasers and lasers. And then in the 90s, you had Bart Simpson and Dennis the Menace uh-huh. with slingshots and water guns. So it's it's really kind of the same thing with different props. What I'm getting at is that how many times can you make a new culturally relevant 2001 A Space Odyssey? Like At, at some point, you can't do that anymore, right? At, even at that point, even that year is year 10,000. At some point, like you, you run out of those things and you have to evolve and do something differently, whether it's make, make your own movies or, uh, you know, do something else or what, whatever it is. I don't have a good idea. I just know that. Yeah. I, know, I, it, it just can't be done forever, but maybe. I, yeah. I just, I don't, I don't know. I don't think that's true because you're, people are going to be born decades in the future with whom certain types of narratives are still going to resonate in the same way. They're not going to get tired of hearing it because they've never heard it before. Right. Yeah, that's, that's true. That's a good point. So I'm sure film will, will evolve and there, and, and and just non immersive movies, like maybe there's going to be some sort of VR aspect to, to films at some point, but amusement is always going to be a thing that, that exists, right? A desire for amusement because, so I mean, amusement, you think of the word muse to think a, a amusement, not, a not thinking. Yeah. Right. Do um, the thinking that's for fundamentally me, Sandy what, Kubrick. Right. That's yeah. fundamentally what amusement is. And amusement often necessitates, um, a passive audience. So I don't think films going anywhere. I mean, it's certainly going to theaters are going to change right and maybe it's a totally immersive experience where you're just walking around and in, in, in this vr environment this virtual reality environment um but i i don't think the desire for entertainment that that caters to a passive audience is going to go anywhere and i think uh what's what's going to change is probably just probably just what sort of maybe how often people want uh traditional narratives maybe that like that fluctuates anyway with kind of the ebbs and, and, and flows of culture right it's like as culture get, gets postmodern, people want increasingly nihilistic film right, um yeah. but people are still people and intrinsically resonating stories and story arcs like the hero's journey they're not people aren't ever gonna not want to hear them across the board right right it's it it the big thing that's probably changing more than anything else is capacity. So a movie lover or a movie buff that we would call in 2020 in 1970, maybe has only seen a hundred movies in his or her entire life. Sure. Something like that. He doesn't have Netflix. He doesn't have. And so, but that's what, what's the phrase? Um, uh, necessity is the mother of invention kind of thing. Obviously it's not as important as other things, but people go, well, I'm tired of this. I think I'll invent something new. So there's that. Uh, it was interesting to me on the topic of video games is that movies, music, and television are almost a hundred years old in the definition of being mass marketed and uh, uh, the industrial revolution and uh, the jazz singer and all those stuff, 1920s. Here we are 2020, but video games were made right. in the seventies primitively, right. but they were made in the seventies by a Marine actually. So next time uh, you think of a, a uh, <laughs> Uh, combat veteran for his service, his or her service, you can also thank them for video games uh, and du- and duct tape and a bunch of other <laughs> cool stuff. Anyway, it's just interesting that it's half the age of these other things. So in half the time, right. it's evolved in a way faster capacity and is going to be able to do things. The, yeah, yeah, right. 
And move uh, music is by far the most important of the four because it just wait. Is what, what's the fourth for one? A what lot are the four? Music, film, video movies, music, fourth television. Okay, and, I would yeah. I would pair. I would just bundle that in with with cinema, maybe. Sure, but if I had to choose one of like, those four, because like these days, even like cinema and television, there's such an intersection that it's almost like it's it's yeah, almost indiscernible. No. And all four of them uh, touch basically every parts of our life. They touch, they touch this podcast. They touch um, marketing and toys for kids and posters. And those four things touch so many things. If I had to choose one to always have access to, it would be music. Not close. I don't know. I don't, yeah, I don't yeah, know about I, you. I, I think I you'd agree. But and music has religious and other value too. It, it's not just entertainment. Right. Well, so it also does other things. Music, music too. So I wanted to. Th- this this came to mind when when you were saying that. So. Um, a couple things. First, cinema. You have to sing. You have to sing every line. If you talk about music, you have to you have to sing the whole <laughs> your whole <laughs> argument. <laughs> I would like to say <laughs> nobody's gonna win in that situation. <laughs> so I so I've video lost, video yeah. games are a fundamental. Well, I want to be careful when I say this because I haven't thought through most of my argument yet. Um, so video games are are fundamentally different in a lot of ways from from cinema because they don't they aren't necessarily for a passive audience, right? It's they're they're immersive. They offer interactive. Right. They're yeah. interactive. They they offer something that film can't. That's why they were invented. Probably why they were invented. I don't want to go into the actual reason that video games were invented, but that's why people <laughs> play them, right? I mean, there's a like Skyrim, for example, an RPG where a fantasy RPG where you can go play as a you know a, a knight or a mage or you know just all these different traditional fantasy stereotypes. You get to play as those characters. Um, that's people play Skyrim for completely different reasons than they watched Lord of the Rings. Like I'm not, I'm not comparing the two worlds, oh, yeah. right. But it's like, you yeah. know, um, you're, you're engaging different, uh, different fundamental desires for amusement. I, I wouldn't actually, <laughs> I wouldn't relegate, you know, the Lord of the Rings to amusement. There's, it's a very, it's a very engaging narrative. Um, it's one of the, it's interesting that you, it's interesting that you'd love the office so much because Michael Scott has a quote about sometimes he just doesn't know what he's thinking. He just says it. And then figures it out as it comes out, and that's what you do when you argue. You're just like, I'll figure, yeah. I'll figure it out as it go along. Yeah, it really is. Well, okay, so music as one of the four. This is the other thing I wanted to say. I think music is the most. It is the most restricted medium of all of those, right? It's because it's audio. It is the. Uh, it is the most true to any sort of objective nature to these mediums like objective uh um truth i mean that's it's really uh it's a really cliche thing to say i guess but um music has to have order like it even has to have mathematical order to be good um yeah i mean i guess good is good can be relative but you know <laughs> what if we what if we spend all our computer science time trying to teach computers yeah to, yeah to write music well, and that's another thing too i mean computers have a very hard time writing good music and there's something like there's something um yeah i don't want to say sub-rational i think that that has that bears the wrong connotation it's pre-rational right um it's intuitive maybe i'll just say that good music is intu- humanistic yeah, yeah yeah maybe i mean good music is is intuitive i i'll i'm at least willing to make yeah. that claim um that's nobody's really going to argue that um, yeah, how, but you can you can write a song and immediately think of a cave. You know, you could write a song and, and immediately think of space. 
and, right. and that has so, nothing so to do in, with science. That's all it has a lot to do with feeling. Yeah, in some ways its constraint lends itself to to it being the most robust artistic medium. Um right? And and part of that is part of that is on the the receiving end of the listener, you know, it being up to their imagination. The other the other part is the the producer, you know, them delivering something that they think is going to be sufficiently imaginative to their to their listeners, right? Um these 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 are these are different mediums like let's take this let's let's find the 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 linking the the common denominator between these three things you know the visual passive medium of film and television the immersive medium of video games visual and immersive and the um interactive interactive yeah yeah interactive um that's their unique factor and then the audio uh approach of of music um the common, video games is the only one with all of them, by the right, way. Right, right, and they all engage different, different exclusive desires for for amusement, right? Different variations yeah. of a desire for amusement, a demand for amusement, and they all are inviting you to set aside time to enjoy those things. Yeah, but that's, music that's, is the one that you do in a in a um, passing. You know, it's a passing fancy. It's just like, well, sure. I'm working on a thing. I'll put on some music. Right. You can't do that with well, a movie. So that that's that's actually really helpful. That's that's not the route I was going to go, but that's a good point. The so I w- I was just going to say that the thing that they all have in common is that um they they frustrate the the consumer if there's something objectively wrong with them, right? And so Ooh, I'm careful. Yeah. yeah, I'm careful to say that too because I mean, it's like you know what what's what's objective so for movies art according to park apparently (laughs) yeah yeah right um so for movies the it's plot holes that's going to frustrate the consumer because there is something objectively incorrect going on with a narrative if it's not coherent there's always a loophole there's always an exception sure sure um but i mean if if the plot is not uh is not coherent then then it's going to frustrate the consumer. And music, if it's not, if the music isn't good, well, it's probably not good. I mean, it depends on preference and taste. But at a greater, in a greater sense, if the music isn't good, it's going to frustrate the consumer because it's out. Of, like maybe it's out of tune, right? It's like bad music right, is just yeah. bad. Um, and so, like a video game, if the controls aren't intuitive, or it's not enjoyable, or it's just such a hackneyed premise that uh, that nobody's going to the only possible way you could enjoy it is to prove to people that you could do something really, really difficult. Like games like that exist and people, people play them. But at some point, if your game is unintuitive and not, it's not delivering something that's actually, uh, that actually resonates with people, it's going to frustrate the consumer in that sense. So, um, yeah, all of these, all of these mediums for amusement are, are, are also necessarily art. And so they they are subject to objective truth. Otherwise, people wouldn't people wouldn't get frustrated consistently with the same things about them, right? Yeah, I don't think I think these mediums are all three of them, or four. You know, they're they're more mediums than just music, video games, and, and movies. That's a really yeah. actually a really narrow consideration of certain art mediums. Um, music, yeah, is, but these are the the big sure, ones. These that are the big ones. Today. Basically, everybody all all yeah, the time. Yeah, I. I don't think any of these. So to answer maybe one of the earlier questions, I don't think any of these are are going anywhere, and I don't think any of these are gonna replace one another. Um, there might be intersection, like we see between movies and TV, but that's the same fu- fundamentally the same medium, right? There, there's some intersection 
with between TV and video games. There's a certain intersection between video games and music, probably more so than intersection between any of the other two. Um, but I don't think that intersection is going to to develop to the extent of eradicating uh, discernible differences between them in the slightest. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I can get on board with that. You were mentioning something uh, the other day, actually, about how um, – because it applies here about how the intersection of art and politics happens more and more that the further we get uh, post-internet, essentially. But because Marvel created these two characters that are... You mean that, like political propaganda and film? Right, yeah. and, and an Or art. ideological and propaganda, at all, least. Yeah, exactly. And there's a very prominent example that kind of got glossed over for lots of good reasons but it should be in the forefront uh that marvel put out several new characters uh including including two called yeah i know um, what you're gonna say safe space and snowflake <laughs> these are the the actual uh-huh. literal names of these new superheroes that marvel made it is on marvel.com like they, they are there for you to read and learn about because like because this is your point but when it comes to the left politically, especially the far left, however you want to look at that, um, they're, in, they're incapable of producing art for just art because yeah, they, they have yeah. to produce it for propaganda. There's culturally, there's a victory for them in doing these things. When on the other side, on the right, it's just like, can art just be art? And can uh, we just, you know, they win their, they get their victory. The, the right does. By by just looking at this stuff and going, you're crazy. Can we just watch Star Wars? Does everything have to be? Um, does there have to be ideologically motivated? Um, yeah. Yeah. Does there have to be a motto or a or a agenda? Is a better word. Does it have to be agenda in it, or can I just watch people shoot? Cool e- even weapons? then, the 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 key difference is that when you're when you're shoehorning ideology into art that doesn't already exist there naturally. It's actually it actually reveals how untrue right. and unnatural or unintuitive the ideology you're trying to shoehorn is, right? And so I mean, there's there's limits to that, right? Um, I I mean take uh take take Bible Man for example. Um, it's it's like the 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 peak of bad Christian entertainment. Like so, <laughs> yeah. much much of the truth. I mean. I'm sure a lot of their their theology is bad. I, I I don't I don't find myself watching Bible Man very often, um, but like plenty of the truths that are that are shoehorned into that that uh, medium are true. Uh, but it's just such a bad show. It's like the the peak of you know laziness after conservative Christian cultural dominance. It's just like the the death knell for for that that paradigm of cultural dominance of, of, of the right. Um, we'll put the, we'll put pictures of Bible man and safe space and oh, snowflake a, in the, that'll the be description. Right. So you can see what we're talking about. Well, so, so yeah, I mean, all but, that to say there, there are, there are exceptions, but generally when you shoehorn an ideology into something, it's just going to shed light. If you have to shoehorn the ideology into it, it's probably just going to shed light on either the fact that the ideology itself is unintuitive or, that the ideology doesn't need to be like it can't be relegated to art, right? 
Exactly. So both of those things, Bible Man and Safe Space and these these horrible Marvel characters that were created. There's five of them. There's other ones. One of them includes uh, another one of the characters, by the way, involves uh, breathing in or tasting his uncle's internet gas <laughs> and becoming basically a human Google. Also a very large uh, ethnic uh, Dora the Explorer and, you know, just like otherwise you already use tropes that they're re- rebranding sure. somehow and not not well but in both of these examples there you it looks like they're trying to take well how do we get this political idea and put it into a and put it into a tv show instead of the other way around of like oh here's art oh it just so happens to you know be able to be you know spun to get my point right. across but when you as you said shoehorn but when you just try to force it if you try to put a square peg right. in a round hole, it just doesn't. Yeah, work. I mean that's why that's why older Disney movies were so good, right? Right, pre-computer animation. Oh, yeah. It's mm-hmm. because it was just it was just art um, acting as a vehicle for very very traditional uh, tropes. We'll, we will call them tropes, sure. And, and but and nobody wa- nobody approached that art with the intention of conveying those tropes. There wasn't an agenda behind it. Um, but the tropes are intuitive, right? And some of them are just culturally intuitive, but well, some of that, a large of that, has to do with the fact that the further away from Christianity as a nation that we've become, the more forced those political ideologies have been put on our society. Just whatever normal moral agreements that our society has had have been better, you know, in the 1900s, right. as opposed to now. Yeah, you know, there was a much more agreement about how to raise your child and, and all sorts of things. So when you talked about it in the movies, it wasn't, it wasn't, um, you know, a, a crazy yeah. idea. Um, well, yeah. I mean, that that's a good way to put it. Right. So they don't try to achieve anything that's ideologically novel. Right. They don't. Now, I don't want to confuse that with saying that, that you can't have novelty and good art. You actually do. And, but the novelty and good art is, is a novel and original revelation of of actual true things, right? Not something that you conceived of that you want to. You're you're so maybe this is speaking a little too strongly, but when you when you have when you have an ideological concept and you want to use art as your vehicle for delivering that and and convincing people to accept it, you're just prostituting art. Yeah, I mean, maybe that maybe that's too harsh a claim, but no, I get no, it. it's I get it's not. It's not too harsh a claim because <laughs> <laughs> that was easy. <laughs> that's 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 true because uh, you're you're trying to you're trying to sub- subdue it and assume that it is less effective at revealing truth than you are in in engineering it and conforming it to your own assumptions, right? Uh, I do have an example from what I was talking about. But take Pinocchio. That's a pretty messed up movie. Like you get it eaten is by a whale pretty, and you turn but into a donkey. But it's a good movie. It is a great movie, um, especially for the time. Now, th- like if you want to, if you want to teach kids to be a real moral, uh, you know, good student, you know, with with morals and and you know strong beliefs, you know, you can you can show that and be like, oh look, Pinocchio gets rewarded with becoming a real boy. If you if you make that movie. And with the intention of going save all the donkeys, you know, like it just doesn't come off well because <laughs> right, right. you forced you pigeonholed that trope into there, right? And now you've got 
something that doesn't really make sense. You're like, well, the donkeys are bad. What's going on? You know, don't go play pool and drink cigars and drink beer as a 12 year old, you know, and you mm-hmm. won't turn into a donkey. That makes no sense. But at the end, it all just makes, you know, just it just works out because you don't try to force, you know, it doesn't go Pinocchio, the story about saving the animals, you know, <laughs> like right. it doesn't make any sense. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, the I mean, and that's a disservice to to the rest of the, the film, because the rest of the movie reveals so much more than something that that condensed and unhelpful. Sure. <laughs> like yeah. yep. there's, there's not much nuance to, to, to some sort of uh, shoehorned moral to a story. Um, yeah. But I, no, you're, exactly I guess, right. I guess what I'm getting at is the ideas seemed more pure and intentions were non-existent slash straightforward than they are now. Much, right. much more so just like, here's my story. I want to tell it. I'm a storyteller, the Walt mm-hmm. Disney's of the world. And now here's, you know, Bill Gates with, you know, maybe he started that way, but, it, you know, he's way more political than than uh, he was in the 90s, you know, and that's not coincidental. That has right. to do with just getting, as a nation, getting further and further away from Jesus. But that's a different conversation, and it brought it brings me to what you were talking about just earlier and then weeks ago, but just before we hit record, was talking about how we're living in such a time of global prosperity that we're shooting ourselves in the foot all the time with the way we interact with society. By finding problems. Yeah, by yeah, finding problems finding that don't need to exist. problems too. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like in other words, as life gets, uh, as, as the easier life gets for us, like just with technology and, you know, whatever it is, new jobs, easier jobs, et cetera, the easier it is to complain and find problems with everyday life. Like if you had a thousand robots to bring you all the things you needed in a day, and then you're like, oh, I forgot to refill the ketchup robot, and you have to stand up and go do it, it feels like a lot of work. It becomes a grave injustice that you have to be subject to to refilling your ketchup bottle. Right. Dang it, I have to fill up my own (laughs) in-home soda machine. How how dare, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, I I mean so. Yeah, there there are a few there are a few uh, important things to note there. So basically, to to condense what you're saying, luxury is relative, and so is so is suffering, right? So I mean, luxury to so lu- luxury in in the Middle Ages is poverty today, right? Exactly. So, so if no, you want to look at even lower than that, yeah. right, right. And yeah. so you uh, as you. <laughs> As as you experience social progress, and as as vehicles like like capitalism deliver millions of people out of poverty every year, you know into into increasingly uh, lavish life t- lifestyles. Um, yep. Objectively speaking, right? Maybe not. I mean, relatively to to the people that they're lifting out of poverty, but objectively, like the the standard of living across the globe is is unreal relative to hit, like the historical paradigms, historical realities. So as you, I mean, just looking at Western society in particular, as you, as you progress, as you reap the benefits of so much social progress, uh, one thing that's constant is human discontent, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And so you're, you're not going to human, human discontentment is, is not going anywhere. People are still people, regardless of the of the of the standard of living, and so that discontentment is just 
it means that your suffering is just going to be relative as as your as your standard of living grows. There's so, a go ahead. Uh, there's a great episode of Community that makes this point pretty clear. Uh, they uh, Abed becomes the chicken fryer in the cafeteria, and so he controls <laughs> the ch- he controls the chicken fingers, uh-huh. and so they like they actually get jackets with patches on it, like they're in a mafia, like the Godfather, and uh, it apexes with their their um, egos getting bigger and bigger as Abed gives them more and more free stuff with. Uh, Abed bringing something for Troy, his best friend in the show, and Troy looks at him and and throws it away and says, "My monkey hates this caviar," <laughs> <laughs> and it just encompasses your whole point here. He opens the caviar, realizes that his monkey won't eat it, says what he says, and throws it away. And Abed's like, "Huh, <laughs> this is going poorly." <laughs> oh, that's so good. I mean, yeah, that, that show is underrated good good comedy i mean that's another reason that that good comedy as another medium of art i i'd be willing to to add that as maybe like the fifth key medium today outside of music or even film i mean it's usually delivered over film or television but just comedy itself it's such a truth revealing medium it's like untrue a comedy that doesn't reveal truth is not going to be funny yeah right and so Probably, um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, like that's why that community, that scene from Community, is so good. Um, but yeah, as 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 people's standard of living increases, and their their discontentment remains an absolute trend. Um, I mean, all all you have, no matter where you are in history, all you have is present context, right? You can you can read about worse times in history books, but you're not, you're not experiencing them. Yeah. And you're just, you're not going to be any less prone to discontentment than the people who experience the substantially worse times than you have to experience. And when, when you're presented with suffering, you want to eradicate it. And so if your relative suffering today is not actually a problem that can be eradicated without causing more problems, you're just going to start to erode the foundation beneath you in solving problems and finding problems that don't exist. That's what's happening in Western culture today is a, a society with such a lavish lifestyle that we have to find problems that don't exist that are only relative problems. Minimum wage, for example, that's a great example. Raising the minimum wage to $15 nationwide because people really struggle with their bills when they don't make $15 an hour. That's true. It's true that people struggle with their bills if they're not making $15 an hour in in certain areas, right? It's also true that people making less than that are better with their finances. It's also true that for a lot of people, it's not an issue of them being good or bad with their finances. There's There's plenty of nuance here. But finding that relative problem of everybody in the world not making at least $15 an hour is it's it's just that it's a relative problem, while the, ignoring the, the other other fifteen thousand byproducts that are all negative. Exactly, because and so we have to lift these people up one percent to hurt. Yeah, these no, other exactly, 50%. exactly. The impoverished in Western society are among the richest in the world today. Like that's yeah. that's just yeah. that's true. That's that's not a that's not a subjective opinion. That's that's a that's an objective fact. We've said a and lot so, of subjective things today. That is objective. Yeah, yeah, right, right. You can. You can pin pin the needle on that one and 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 remember it. Um, 
when your relatives when your suffering is relative and that becomes your suffering and that's the problem that you can find because your discontentment isn't going anywhere and you're not less prone to discontentment than your your ancestors or or what have you um you're going to cause way more problems like the consequences of raising the of mandating a $15 minimum wage the long term consequences are are drastic right um, we're not going to see social collapse because of it, because there, we have far greater problems contributing to to our 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 fast uh, jog in that direction, right? Um, but it's just an example of of the nature of of a, a privileged society to to just find itself being a a cohesive busybody that's going to cause problems trying to solve them because. Yeah. 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 There's a great uh I've discovered our dynamic which is uh that I say something grounded and down to earth and you put it through the park brain machine and you go, "Well, here's how it relates to philosophical esoteric paradigms." <laughs> <laughs> I saw a great clip that encompasses what you were trying to say here too. There's um a guy, he stands up and uh asks a panel including Ben Shapiro and um some other, you know, some of his colleagues that he con- that he considers friends, and says, "Well, what would we just do if all of a sudden, uh, if if we look back at history and abortion was never legal, and mm-hmm. all those people were here, and uh, and Ben re- replies, somebody on that panel quickly replies, uh, I happen to think World War II was a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> what if all of a sudden we just had." you know, X number of millions of, of new mouths on the earth. Uh-huh. And what basically what this person was suggesting that we should just kill people to, you know, deal with growth population, you know, population right. growth. And it's just like, you don't like, we're doing so well that you just have to go, you know what, let's kill a bunch of people. The Thanos I- ideology is what it basically was. It's like, you know what, in, in order to make the average life of the, of the average person go way up, we need to kill X people so that everybody else can thrive to 99% or to hundred percent instead of 99. Right. Yeah. When, when, <laughs> when you, when you have such a good thing going as a culture that you start having to dig around into nuance and theoretical uh, thinking to find your problems, what, what happens is you lose the ability to realize that the problems you find as you're looking through your microscope, maybe key component like they're they're problems, right? They're side effects or or what yeah. have you, and and it's not good that they exist necessarily. But you lose the ability to honestly consider that those problems may be key, irreplaceable components to the good thing that you have going, right? Oh sure, yeah. It's like yeah. what what happens if you remove this suboptimal paradigm from the social framework? What if the whole thing collapses when you remove it? Yeah. Like you you really expect life to be so perfect that there are going to be no discernible flaws in the social order? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, it's like what yeah. what that makes how sense. how dogmatic do you have to be and how overcome by by your ideological blinders do you have to be to not realize that? Especially considering that a lot of these thoughts that end in Marxism or other things are genuinely good th- thoughts to have at some point. Like Harry, what Harriet Tubman did is a good idea. What Rosa mm-hmm. Parks did, curing curing 
um, polio, you know, all these things, discovering all these things are good, but then you take it too far. And you, it feel, society today feels like we're in a cubicle at work and your boss came by and was like, hey, I just saw the work you did, like the things I just mentioned. And he, and he goes, good work. Keep it up. And then he goes away for five hours and comes back and you haven't made you've been working, but you haven't made any progress. And so you just have to make something up. <laughs> you have to make up these things to feel like you're doing something when in reality you just have to go, well, I we tried to do something with these five hours. We didn't get there. We, let's go somewhere else. The worst thing is when you didn't consciously make them up, you actually believe that you were contributing something. Yeah, even worse. You're, you're, you're brainwashed to think, oh, well, I'm completely right, and there's no other way to look at this. Right. When, when in reality, the best way to deal with a bad idea is just a bunch of ideas, because then the bad ones fall down and the, the good ones rise to the top. The, the stifling speech is a bad idea. The, the answer to, you know hate speech or the idea of hate speech because I don't think there's such a thing on a certain level depending on how you define it the answer to that is more speech more free speech Mm -hmm. you know to get these ideas out there instead of just going well we've internally decided that this is it and we can no longer be convinced otherwise so let's kill all the Jews you know (laughs) like right yeah that's I mean back to your to your Marxist point you know having having these concerns that are good or that are not necessarily unhelpful in every situation. It's like... Especially asking the initial question. How can we help others? Right, right. Like, how do we do these things? And then you go, well, we need to let everybody in. That doesn't work. Right. Because now we are we're in trouble. You have to... And then you go, well, how do we fix that? We meet people where they are. And we bring electricity to Nicaragua. Wherever it is. Africa. Yeah. You know, yeah. Wherever it is. You can admit... You can start out with that idea and admit that it's it's really not good that, that suffering happens in certain places. And empathy is a good right, thing. Right, right. Empathy has created many, many, is many it, good things. Can it, should it be normative? Should empathy be normative? No, because that's how you exactly. get... No. Well, no. that's how you, you totally erode the, the rational framework for for actual problem solving mechanisms is, is by making your empathy normative. But, um, you can, you can acknowledge that, that those things are suboptimal and that it's probably, it's not necessarily anyone's fault. Right. And, and that maybe we're on, on our way about as good as we could be. And if we're not on our way to, to resolving those issues as, as well as we could be, then you would better be careful before you start suggesting another you, the the one person at this point in history, regardless of whether or not you're backed by by other people's theory, you you need to be really careful before you suggest that you need such a fundamental paradigm shift that it totally de-establishes everything around you, and that right. your way is is better at getting to the solution than the way that seems to be making progress right now. Right? It's like my favorite metric is is uh, about this issue is that. Capitalism delivered more people out of abject poverty in one year than communism did in an entire century, even if you include the 100 million people that communism killed as being delivered out of abject poverty. (laughs) It's so egregious and hilarious at the same time that I don't know what better— Time makes things funny. Oh, it's it's so good. It's— Man, not to mention the 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 hole that they've left, the crater. Right. Not just not in just, Eastern just, Europe. And, we're not and, talking about we're not talking about a straight line here. We're not like uh, we started at negative six and we ended at negative six. No, we are way worse <laughs> than we were with those ideologies in place. Right. 
I, yeah. I heard, uh, going back two minutes or so, I heard, I can't remember exactly what the argument was. I heard it online, as people do, um, about getting mad at people using oil way back in the day. It's like, <laughs> well, that created the assembly line and all, all sorts of revolutions. People Are using oil back in the day is the reason that you have the iPhone that you're using to complain about them having oil back <laughs> in the day right now. Yeah. I don't know what you want. <laughs> and your phone doesn't even have oil. There were things that were, you know, like we've, we'd advanced beyond the need for oil for specific things, mm-hmm. but you can't get mad for them for that because now we've created new problems. And that's what your point was that we now have new problems and we have to use our new information and the growth that we've created to, you know, come up with a new idea that doesn't like wind tar- turbines and other things that are that are much more efficient and safer and greener and all. I this have stuff. very like, strong feelings about wind turbines, but I get your. Point. I, I know, <laughs> I know, yeah, I, I know you do too. There's a there's a great clip of Newt Gingrich talking to some girls about um, thinking that wind turbines are bad, and they say something like, "Well, we had to kill a bunch of animals to to clear the space to build the turbine." And he goes, "Huh, interesting. You had to kill the animals to save the animals." <laughs> Something like that. That's very good. Huh, interesting. Anyway, um, I think that's about uh, all of the philosophical brain hemorrhaging I can deal with. Yeah. <laughs> I, I had a, span. I had a, uh, an 11-hour workday before this, so I'm right there with you. Oh, good. So now that our brains are properly mushed, uh, I'm just going to wrap it up here. You guys can reach us anytime on the IWCT uh, on Twitter. Uh, that's T H E I W C T. We'll interact with you as much as you want. So get a hold of us, and in the future, we plan to uh, interact a lot and bring people on that interact with us there. So that'll be fun. And uh, yeah, I look forward to uh, new uh, new interviews coming soon. And uh, don't forget that democratic socialism is just socialism. Sounds like communist propaganda, but okay. <laughs>